Awesome. So two weeks ago, I, I started a message that I prepared and I only got to the introduction and I thought, you know, let, let me just stop there and, and make it a two-part message. Um, and the message that I was starting to share on was loving others from the city to the cross. Who was here two weeks ago? Just give me an indication. Okay, so, so just allow me a minute or so just to catch everyone up and then I'm going to advance. What I felt a couple of weeks back is to, to just stop and take our congregation through what I would typically do at other places where I'm invited to. Now, in my life, God has always used me to go and connect to the world out there in order to build bridges into the church, to crack open a little bit of a field and trust the Lord for people to come to salvation that's not in the church. And it has been a pattern over my life since the day I came to the Lord. And I'm going to share some of that stories with you this morning. But as a result of that, often when, when, when churches wants to do something related to that, they, they want to minister to the church on how do we really go out into the world? How do we connect with the organizations we work at or the places we partake in in society? They would ask me to come and share some of these journeys I've been on. But now what then happens, I never tend to do it at my own church because this is where I am. This is where I live. But then two weeks ago, I felt, you know what? I just want to preach through and work through what I would typically do at other congregations. And I actually went to four congregations in the last two months that didn't know about one another. Oh, the one knew. Three congregations didn't know about one another and asked me to come and talk to their church on this. And then the other, the fourth congregation heard what happened at that church and asked me to also come to them. And it was all, they were all asking the same thing. How do we equip ourselves to be effective in the world out there? How do we love people? Those in our world, in our families, in our workplaces that does not know the Lord. How do we love them well? That is the question that's being asked by many churches today. Just that had communication with me. Then we had this group from Fire and Fragrance from YWAN coming this Wednesday putting a spark on us. These young men and women are going all over the world on missions, connecting with the world out there. We've got our team going to Polokwane. So it's, it's very clear to see that the Lord is putting something through our hearts, a love and affection for the world out there. And, and so I want to spend some time on this. Now, just allow me to recap a little bit. I showed this picture last week, this picture of a woman called Kitty Genovese, who remembers this. Okay, a lot of you spoke to me about this. I'm glad you picked it up. And, and let me just explain to, to the new people more or less why this story was mentioned, because it will help me also in the rest of the message. Now, this woman, Kitty Genovese, on that date, was murdered um, in the road at the bottom of her apartment block the Kew Gardens area in New York City on that date by that man called Winston Mosley. 
And what happened is this man watched her and picked up her rhythms and knew that she was working late at night when most people would be sleeping. And one night when she came home after working, serving people, um, he attacked her in the dark alleyway that led to the, the front door of her apartment block. Right. Now, when he attacked her, he stabbed her several times with a knife. Okay. And what you do when you are being attacked is you, you shout. Okay. You, don't, you don't ask for help. You cry from the stomach. And so cries, desperate cries, was being heard by the people. And people have witnessed what they heard was, he is stabbing me. He is stabbing me. That's what she said. As a result of the cries, there was a commotion in the apartment block where she lived. Lights went on, windows was being opened, curtains was being drawn open. And because of the, the commotion, the attacker, Winston Mosley, withdrew away from her to a place of safety in order to hide. But here's the interesting thing about March 13, 1964. That moment after the cry, even though there was a commotion, lights went on, windows was opened, and curtains was drawn open. No one came down from the safety of their apartments into the unsafe dark alley to help her. And so when the attacker saw that no one came down, there was no response, he went back and he murdered her. Okay. That's what happened to Kitty Genovese on that date. And today, that is called in psychology the bystander syndrome, or actually the Genovese syndrome, which was her surname. You can read about that. Now, the, re the reason this stuck into my heart is because the first time I heard the story, the person that was telling the story drew an analogy between the bystanders in the apartments and Jesus. And he said the following, he said, when Jesus Christ heard our cries, the cries of death, he did not open a window and said, good luck. He did not draw open a curtain and said, I wonder if they would be okay. He came down, the word became flesh, John 1, and he dwelt among us. Philippians 2 said he humbled himself by taking the form of a man and being obedient until death. Jesus came down into my dark alley. And then he took the judgment or the knives that was aimed at my heart and he put it in himself. And he took my place in the dark alley and I could safely enter eternal life. I could safely enter the apartment block. And when I heard that, it made, it had an effect on my heart, a lasting effect. Seven, eight years since I heard the story, it would still be the news, the story, the history of Kitty Genovese that would give me an awareness of the world around me in need of love, care, and a message that can save. And I hope that for some of us, this story will help us connect the dots that you are in the apartment block right now. If you are a believer, you are there, and the cries are coming up. Those who are working with you, 
people in your family, friends, acquaintances. Two weeks ago, I, I said, those moms on the pavements where we collect our children, the cries are coming up. And Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few because not many, not many will be willing to walk down to there where the cries are. Because when you're down in the alley, it gets tough. When you're in the dark alley, there's knives there. There's danger there. There's blood there. But who will go? Like Uncle Johnny preached last night, Vasi Moifuta. Beautiful are the feet of those on the mountains. And so I know, because I'm hearing it through so many churches, that God is busy touching all the Christians in the apartments and saying, come on, come on, let's go down. You won't be, you won't be alone. Let, let's get there. There where it's dark, where the cries are coming from, because I want to use you. And I want to say this, even if you are new around here, it might be an awkward message, because if you're new around here, I'm here telling you to get out there and make a difference in the world. Exactly. Even if you are new around here, because I'll tell you what, you are not, if you are new around here, someone invited you. Firstly, I want to say, that person that's been nagging you to come here, okay, we all have those irritating friends, you know, like, at the end, they've invited you 20 times. You said, okay, let me just go. Let me just go. I want to tell you, that person that invited you, they love you and they care for you. That's why they invited you. But I also want to tell you, you are not a project. You are the reason Jesus Christ came to earth. He loves you. But he also wants to send you out. So let's join Jesus on his journey. And then for us, that if maybe been in the faith for many years. Here is the danger. Sometimes when we are young and on fire Christians, we know the stairs that goes down and up. But sometimes we start to get familiar with our callings and there's many things going on in our lives and we forget where the stairs is that goes down to the alley and we become Christian apartment dwellers. We come to church and we stop there. We only know believers. We have no one that comes to our homes that does not know the Lord Jesus because we are no longer in the dark alley at all. We are extracted. And Jesus is saying, there's a harvest, but there's not many. Let us be a church, it says, but there will be many here. There'll be many laborers in this congregation that will answer the call. Amen. That's the heart of what why I'm sharing on what I'm sharing this morning. Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. There he is in the dark alley with the dangerous men of society, the sinners. Well, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I am here to lead the charge into the dark alley.
Go and learn what this means, he tells the Pharisees. Isn't that amazing? I was reflecting on this with a friend who's also a pastor. He said he used to be a part of a small church. And they were, they were a, a, a church that was, was extremely prophetic and focused on intercession. He said they made intercession for the lost land on their church in such a way that they only prayed for the lost. They never went. And so they sacrificed. They they fasted for the lost, they prayed for the lost, but they never went to the lost. And many years later, he said, I know now what we missed. So they had a small church full of people that can prophesy for you. They, when, I, uh, when I went to that church, the worship was crazy, but the church never grew. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, I desire mercy. I've called to come to six. So know this. This is a quote from Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he's saying is if organized religion, okay, what we are doing here, which is good, by the way, but if it does not take us out and put mercy through us, it is undesirable. Okay? If, if we only come in, we, there's something about the gospel that's not there. It's, it's not clicking in. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Okay. Jesus called the disciples to himself that he might send them out. Okay. So both these should be working. And you pick up the signs of a church that doesn't get that. You pick it up. Once the church becomes better and better and better at coming in, they've got more complaints about stuff that's not important at all. The worship is too long. The worship is too short. The worship is too loud, the worship is too soft. Okay? The pastor preached too long, the pastor preached too short. I don't want my small group to start at 6 o'clock, I want it to start at 6.30. Okay? I don't want church to start at 8.30, I want church to start at 9. Okay? When we start hearing these things, which you don't hear often, it is because we are huddling up, and we are no longer confronted with the blood that's flowing in the streets. Because when we are seeing the pain out there, little stuff that I just mentioned is non-issues. Absolute non-issues. All right? So, Jesus wants to send us out. Amen? All right. What, I, what I've learned, what I've picked up, I'm going to share about this a little bit. I'm talking about from the city to the cross. Okay? From the streets to the apartment, whatever. Um, I asked Hendrik to make me this slide. What I have learned generally is people typically in our world, those who we love to reach for the Lord, they don't move from the city to the cross just like that. Okay. The, people don't move from the conversation to the congregation. They want to move into your life first. They need to get around the table first. And he reclined at the table and ate with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was doing constantly moving people onto his life into the kingdom. Had compassion on the people. Have them sit down. Let's make a meal. Breaking fish, bread. Bring them near. Bring them near. They were near to him. They were on his life. I have picked up. I have shared the gospel with many people in my life, and I have been rejected many times. And I'm going to share about that. 
I'm not coming from a place of strength. I'm coming from a place of weakness. And I'm honest with you, but I have picked up, I have been more effective once I have moved those whom the Lord is lifting up to me into my home. It seems like meeting someone in town at the pavement in that coffee shop, it feels like the step to the church might be a little bit too far, but if they step into your home, it's quite doable. Now, I'm making an analogy with home because it literally works with the home, but some of you are young, you don't have homes. It is an analogy for coming nearer, nearer and dearer to you. All right? So it doesn't have to be your home. Does that make sense? You get me? All right? It, moving someone to the home might be sharing a meal with them somewhere. Okay. I have learned that people move closer, closer, and then the miracle of salvation happens. And so the laborer in the harvest is in the harvest field looking where is the fruit that the Lord is showing, moving there, assessing. Is this one right to be plucked, invited? Is that one? We are workers in the field. All right? Now, I was loved from the city to the cross in this way by a man who was about six years older than me. I was 18 years old. He was about 24, uh, doing like a year of your life because he radically got saved. And he came to my house as a, I was a matric boy, grade 12, every week. And I hated it because I knew he wanted to convert me. <laughs> Like, I saw through him. I knew exactly. I'm like, oh my, this is guy again, wanting to convert me. And he wanted to speak about Jesus always. And it irritated me. But you know what? I need to give it to him. The man was consistent and persistent. So it's a rash. Okay. He was there every week. And you know what? I picked up my, my dad worked very hard. He still works hard. He's actually retiring next week. It's amazing. My dad couldn't always be there when stuff happens at school, okay? It didn't work in that way. But guess who was there? Carl. He started to pitch up at rugby games. He started to pitch up when stuff was happening at school. How's that? And I knew I was 24 years old. He's got no children in church. He was coming and he wanted me to see he was there. What was he doing? We didn't have this little picture yet. But what he was doing is he was moving me. You know what I started to click? I'm not alone in this world. There's people that cares. Okay. Because there was a battle in my heart. But you know, when I went forward in a little church on my knees to give my heart to the Lord, I was on my knees and I was crying. And I don't cry a lot. I'm not very emotional in that way. But that day it came out of my stomach. Guess who was there? Same guy. Put his hand on my shoulder and he said, today you must choose. And I chose. And I've never looked back. I was 18 years old. Someone walked into my life and refused to be swayed by my arrogance, my rejection of him. They came, he came, I, think, I guess it was about a year consistently. He was moving me from the city to the cross. And he was there the day when I was ripe, when I was ready. They asked, uh, 
well-known evangelist. He says, listen, how do, I, how do I converse? How do I share the gospel with my Hindu and my Muslim neighbor? Come on, give me the tip. Give me the golden key. How do I share the gospel with these people of other faiths? He says, it's easy. I'll, 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 it's easy to do it, but I'll, I'll, here's the word. Friendship. That's how you share it. Because you know what the gospel is. But they will not listen until you are in their life. There, there are times when the Lord moves us when, when someone can get saved on the streets. Okay? But if we do a poll right now, who of you are here because a Christian walked, bumped into you on the street and said you must come to church and now you're here, it would be less than 4%. Most of you are here because of a friend, a parent, a grandma, a parent. Or, you see, two parents. <laughs> Relationships. Amen? First thing for us to be effective in our town, in our city, if we want to move people from the city to the cross, number one, I want to share three things with you that I have learned in my life, is that we're going to have to be intentional, and consistent in the city. Intentional and consistent. Now, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Here, here's what we need to do. We need to pray to the Lord that he send laborers into the city, into the harvest. And I loved what these young men were sharing Wednesday night. He said, sometimes when we, if you just imagine yourself, you and your family, God, God is sending you to Indonesia to be full-time missionaries. Just imagine it. Humor me for a moment. Okay. Right? You are flying next week. You've got your passports. Everything's ready. Now, you know, when you go there, you are on a mission. You want to work, play, eat with people that need to hear the gospel. You want to pray every night with your family for those who do not know the Lord. You will rig your whole life to live this mission the Lord is sending you on. Okay, now, mind shift. You have been sent, and you are here. Some missionaries just travel different. You are here, sent by the Lord into your harvest. I don't have access to some of the relationships you, 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 you have access to. You have been sent. Amen? Now, I want to share some stories from my journey and some failures. That first picture there is the Sasol Rugby Club in Secunda. Right. 2012, I finished some big mountain bike race, and I was about 82 kilograms big. And then the Lord laid on my heart, when you guys go there to plant the church, you must play rugby again. If you know anything about weight and, and uh, the four-deal lane advantage, you need to understand you cannot play when you are 82 kilograms big and you are a forward. Okay? So I picked up about 24 kilograms to go and play rugby again. It took me a year to prepare to play. But that's how long we, had, we knew we were moving there. So I prepared. I was intentional. Night one, I arrived at the rugby fields, and the men were, were running on the field. I said, Lord, these men are big, and they look rude, and they look nasty. I, I'm not sure I heard you correctly. I don't feel equipped. 
night one, I knew no one. I don't feel equipped to go onto this field as a missionary. I know I'm not going to get it right. I know I'm going to say the wrong things. What if I misrepresent you? What if I fail? And I heard the Lord that night in my car speaking to me very clearly. And he said, you will say the wrong things. You will fail and you will misrepresent me because that's what humans do. But I am God and I am faithful. And so when you go into the harvest, you can be sure that I will move and I will do what I have planned with these men. And you know what? The pressure fell from my shoulders and I walked onto that field and I said, Lord, you are going to do it. And I'm going to be on this field. Eight years later, I was still there. And that's when we came back here. Night one on the rugby field, there was this one guy. His name was Kuss. <laughs> he was clearly the leader. He was clearly, he's not on this photo, otherwise I'll show you. He was clearly the leader because he was the loudest and the proudest. And he made jokes and everyone laughed, but the jokes was bad. I mean, you, you, you don't hear language like that anymore. Now, the problem with me is I've got a reactive sense of humor. So when you tell a joke that I should not find funny or laugh at, I first laugh and then I realize, ooh, that's like really rude. I shouldn't laugh at that. And then I would say, I'm sorry, man, I shouldn't have laughed at that. And that was wrong. So now I'm on the rugby field and this guy's going. He's like a comedian. And I'm trying to hide the fact that he's really catching me off guard with his humor. Okay? So I'm like... Because I don't want to show these people I'm laughing and then later I need to tell them, you know, Jesus, he calls us to purity. <laughs> so it was, a tough, it, was a, it, was a, it was a tough night. And I thought, Lord, what am I getting myself into? That night the coach said, okay, so who's going to pray for us? And I thought, this is going to be interesting. I mean, how do you pray after listening to crude jokes like that for an hour? And guess who said they will pray? The very same guy, and I thought, that this can't be. And I, and I thought, I, I want to hear this. And we're on our knees, and I've got my ears open. I want to hear this. I thought, this is going to be funny. And this guy starts, and he prays, but in Afrikaans. He says, Lord, as your word says, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, let us do everything to the glory of your name. And I was confused. And you know what I learned that night? I learned about my harvest. I learned about the field where the Lord sent me in. And I discovered that these men wanted to be near to the Lord, but they had no one to show them how. And I looked into those hearts. And my heart was broken. That man and his family came to the Lord and served Jesus. The next week, we had a rugby match in, in, wait for it, Nigel, okay? Now, I know some of you watch Fetkuk Palace, okay? There's really a town called Nigel. I'm not joking, all right? 100 kilometers from Secunda. Now the Lord is working with me. I've got my, my book where I, every day morning when I read Bible, I write my jumping verse and I diary a bit. And I'm writing down all the names of the players that I can remember. So I'm picking up the names. And remember, I'm a new guy. So I've got a list of 33 names after three evenings. And I'm like, Lord, I, 
I pray for this person, I pray for this person, I pray for this person. So I know this one person, his name is Niels. He was the biggest guy there. They call him Niels as Reels, okay, uh, because you don't mess with him. And he's on his phone the whole time, the one practice. And I'm like, Niels, what's, what's going on with you and your phone? You're practicing rugby here. He says, no, my wife is very pregnant. So any moment, if she phones, I must go. Uh, but now the problem is the next day we're playing rugby in Nigel, which is 100 kilometers away. I said, listen, Niels, what are we going to do about that? He said, no, I don't know because, uh, you know, my wife could literally go into labor any moment. So back then, I mean, we're young. We've, I've got no money. I said, don't worry. Why don't you drive with me in my, in my car? Okay. Then if your wife phones, even if the game is on, we'll get into my car. I'll bring you back to the hospital immediately. He said, that's a great plan. So now he's in my car. I put petrol in. I get him coffee, whatever's needed. And now what I need to do is I hear from the Lord is try and create a situation where you can have a conversation with this man. So we, we're playing rugby. Afterwards, back in the car, his wife did not go into labor. The moment we hit the road back home, he says, you know what, Vada, my wife says something very strange to me. She said, there's demons in our house. I'm like, yeah? He said, yeah, because I love horror movies and all these aliens and stuff. And she says she senses that there's stuff in our house that does not belong there. What do you say? I said, you know what, Niels? I think, I think she might be right. Why don't you guys come to church? Let, let, let's walk a little bit of a journey together. And he said, okay. That Sunday he came. They were the first people. Gave their lives to the Lord and stayed and growed, became small group leaders, and they're now part of a uh, church in New Zealand. One of the other men, now I'm, I'm hearing these things from being intentional and awake on my harvest field. I hear this one guy, Ben, um, they called him Bottomless Ben because he can eat a lot. Okay. <laughs> He's, he needs to move his house. Now, if you know me, ek hard trek. Okay. Like, I, I really don't like moving homes. But now I hear the Holy Spirit says, you know where you need to be tomorrow morning. You need to help Ben move his home. So now I'm there the whole day. It's kaste uh, and kleren and potte and panne. And at the end of the day, we move his whole house. And he says, listen, I heard this guy says, you're a pastor. Where's your church? I said, no, that's where church is. He says, can we come? I said, you're welcome. And they came. They became members, born again, small group leaders. What I have learned is if you are consistent and intentional in the field, there's opportunities to be had. Because Jesus says the harvest is ready. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is there's no one there when they are ready. But if each of us just step into the field that the Lord gives us, there's opportunities like this all around these people told me night one, you will never make it at this rugby club. You're a pastor. Eight years later, the church was running that show. I was the head coach. We had people on the, on the exec committee, and the, half of the team was in the church. If we're consistent and intentional, God honors that. Something about consistency, like, for, for example, a rugby team like this practice on a Tuesday, Thursday, playing on Saturday. Tuesday night, two hours, 70 people at one place. Thursday night, two hours, the same 70 people, same place. 
Saturday, the same 70 people now with their families and girlfriends. And you put that into weeks, you start to put your light consistently to shine before the same people. Now, I know not a lot of you are still playing a rugby. That's not, that's not the principle here. The principle is where do you go for coffee? Where do you walk? Where do you run? Where do you shop? Where do you play cards? Because if you can think the Holy Spirit help you to be consistent you can start seeing the same people if you are organized people with rhythms you already see the same people at the same times they're in the same place in the week ask the lord who are you turning because remember you are a sent one already amen he wants to use you there's a bunch of